evening. This is GB News and we are five weeks old. We are a fledgling in broadcasting terms. Now, I've no doubt you've read and seen some criticism of GB News. The sets are black and dull and boring. We'll have a look around you. You can see things are changing. Some of the tech issues didn't work on day one. Well, name me a broadcaster that's ever launched that didn't have some tech issues on day one, but they're improving too. And yes, there was a part-time presenter who made a political gesture that wouldn't have been allowed on any channel in the United Kingdom, and he's gone. They're the negatives, but what about the positives? Why am I here? Why have I decided to join GB News full-on, not just to come in on a Sunday morning, but to launch this show tonight, Farage, and I'll be here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, from 7pm till 8pm. Well, I'll tell you why. Because I believe in GB News, and I believe in Andrew Neil. I think he is one of the most intelligent broadcasters we've seen in our lifetimes. And I'll tell you what, if it's good enough for Andrew Neil, it's absolutely good enough for me. And the need for GB News has never been greater. There is, for all the talk of diversity, almost no diversity in British broadcast media. They pretty much take the same centre-left, liberal, woke, pro-cancel culture view on virtually everything. It's as if they've forgotten that outside the M25, outside of metropolitan London, there is a very large population of people who have an entirely different view, and yet they look down upon, despised virtually, by so many in politics and media in this country. Well, GB News is here very much for those people. We're going to be a voice for those people, and we're going to be, unashamedly, a patriotic television station. So I'll be here every night, taking on the tough stories of the day, taking on stories that other broadcasters actually don't want to touch. They find it all a little bit too inconvenient for their own world view. And I'll give my opinions every day on that, and yes, in some times they may well be quite strong opinions. But here's the real point. The real point is I will have guests on that disagree with me. And I want you, please, through GB Views at GB News, to tell me where I'm going wrong, to put me straight, and I tell you what, I'll read them out. I'll do a section every night called Barrage the Farage. I'll take your difficult questions. I'll take your criticisms too. The point is, we want open, free, democratic debate for it to be conducted in a civilised manner. You will, I promise you, hear both sides of every argument, including my own position and my own view, and you then can make your own minds up. I've been involved in the past in some small ventures that have become quite big ventures that have perhaps even changed the course of British politics. And I'm now involved with GB News because we need to change the landscape of British broadcasting. And do you know what? We're going to do it. It's Freedom Day. I bet you're all out there celebrating and having a fantastic time. Well, I have to say, I did manage, without a face mask, to go into a pub and order a pint of beer. So some little degree of normality. And I know last night at midnight, nightclubs were open, people were out dancing, and there was some jollity. And, of course, we're told now that sporting events can happen. But, hey, you know what? I was at Wembley for the final, and there must have been about a quarter of a million people out there, so not too much has changed there. Uh, we've had big crowds at golf, big crowds at Silverstone too. So it isn't that much of a Freedom Day. Well, it certainly isn't a Freedom Day at all, especially if you've been hit 
if you've been pinged by this mad app. Yes, it is a mad app because you can be pinged through a brick wall because somebody in the next flat or apartment has tested positive. Uh, and we're now in a very funny place. There are about 1.7 million people right now uh, who are isolating at home as a result of the NHS app. There are nearly 500,000 people who've gone on France, gone to France on holiday, believing that because they've been double jabbed, which of course we were told again and again was the route to salvation, uh, and they now find when they come back, they will have to isolate for up to 10 days. So there's a lot of people out there having a tough time. And let's not forget, for one moment, the private sector. You see, it's the private sector that have paid the cost of this from the very beginning. If you work in the public sector, you will not lose your job. If you work in the public sector, you will not lose your pension. But if you work in the private sector, you may well lose both. And right now we have, we have factories whose production lines are threatened. Restaurants, pubs closing as a result of staff being forced to isolate. Now, yesterday morning, uh, the pandemic uh, got very much closer to the heart of government when Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak, having been in close contact with Sajid Javid, the health secretary, who had tested positive for coronavirus, suddenly were told that they would have to isolate. But there was a loophole. Yes, a very useful loophole, uh, where they could have a workplace pilot scheme, which would mean they could go to work and take a lateral flow test and provided after eight or ten minutes when they got the result, it was OK, get on with their work. But no, what did they do? In response to public pressure, in response to the charge that would have been made that it's one rule for them and it's one rule for us, in response to all of that, they decided they would isolate. And so we have, of course, tonight the Prime Minister giving us his Freedom Day address whilst in isolation at Chequers. I mean, you couldn't really make this stuff up, could you? But I think they both got it wrong, the Prime Minister and the Chancellor. I think they should have gone to work today. I really, honestly, truly do. And they should have said that the workplace pilot will be extended this week out to every single private company in this country where staff, if they've been pinged, can go get a lateral flow test and provided they test negative. And most of them, of course, will be double jabbed anyway. And they can carry on working and those production lines would keep going, the pubs would keep open and indeed the restaurants too. So I want Boris Johnson to start showing a bit of leadership, to stop being blown around by events, this sort of endless dither and chaos. Boris, man up, open up the workplace pilot to the entirety of this country, let's free the private sector, let's get the economy moving, let's secure people in their jobs, and I think the time has come to make that move. It may be bold, some may think it's actually taking excessive risk, but it isn't, is it? Because we'll use the lateral flow testing system, which is plentiful and very, very cheap. So man up, Boris, show some leadership. The country, particularly the private sector, desperately needs it right now. Well, there we are. That's my view. But I want to know what your view is. So, of course, please let me know on GBviews at GB News. And I will, I promise, read them out. And I'll read out as many in opposition to me as I possibly can, provided you keep it clean, please.
Now, we've had this extraordinary, I think almost farcical situation of the Prime Minister delivering a press conference on Freedom Day. I mean, the day he was supposed to be a Churchill-like figure, and yet he's done it from isolation and checkers. I mean, I guess there are worse places to be. So let's cross live to our political correspondent, Tom Harwood, who joins us right now outside the gates of Downing Street, where, of course, the Prime Minister is not in residence. Tom, what was the big pitch, the big message from the PM at five o'clock today. Well, there was a surprise from the Prime Minister today in his press conference because, of course, we were all briefed, we were all told that this would be a press conference about how we're going to deal with the pandemic. And there was, of course, an announcement at the beginning of this press conference that there are some sectors, those critical sectors, people on the border force, people who protect the realm, people who work in the NHS and social care, these sort of people who will be able to do uh, that test instead of isolate system uh, when, when they are pinged by NHS test and trace. So that was broadly what was expected to be said. And that was announced by the Prime Minister. But then he went on later in his remarks uh, from Chequers today to say that from September, the government expects to make a vaccine passport mandatory for people that wish to go to crowded indoor events like nightclubs. Now, this is a huge U-turn from what the uh, government position was only a couple of months ago, denying that vaccine passports would be mandatory, then introducing vaccine passports as a voluntary measure, but also including that option of having a negative test or proving that you have had COVID in the recent past and having that natural immunity that way. Well, the difference now is that that natural immunity and that test option has been removed. But it was a wide-ranging press conference and one in which the Prime Minister answered a number of questions. And here, I think we, uh, we, we, we can all see the Prime Minister respond to a question from The Sun's political editor, Harry Cole, just a few moments ago. Uh, no, of course, I absolutely didn't think that. And uh, here I am uh, today on Zoom or Teams or, or whatever brilliant system that it is that we're, uh, that we're using. Secondly, you asked about, uh, about pubs. And um, I, I, I don't want to get, as I said many times before in this pandemic, I don't want to get a situation where uh, people are asked to produce papers uh, to go anywhere, to sort of do and do any, enjoy any of the pleasures that they do. Uh, but uh, we've got to make sure that we, uh, and so I certainly don't want to see uh, pubs, uh, passports for, for pubs, uh, but uh, where there are the, the, there are the, the settings that, uh, that JBT describes uh, as conforming to the, corresponding to the three C's, uh, closed, crowded with close uh, social contact, uh, you know, we, we reserve a right to do what's necessary to, to protect the, the public. So there, nothing ruled out. However, I think that that answer reflects a reality of what is going on here, of why these vaccine passports will be introduced from September, particularly among nightclubs, but not for the moment in areas like pubs. And that's because people between the ages of 18 and 30 have a lot lower vaccine take-up than those in older age cohorts. Could this be a bit of a coercive measure from the Prime Minister today, today to try and raise that vaccine take-up level amongst young people to the same levels it is among 
amongst older generations. That seems to be the big driving factor behind the announcement today from Downing Street. But I must stress, this is something that really was not expected. This was not something that was briefed out beforehand and took a lot of people by surprise. Yeah, the great libertarian Boris Johnson, as people keep calling him, uh, who says, I don't want to do it, but I'm probably going to do it. I just wonder, I mean, again and again, this question about vaccine passports has come up. And indeed, uh, many people saying uh, that it could, in fact, be opening the door to mandatory ID cards. After all, there wouldn't be very much difference. Now, I've got the chairman of the 1922 Backbench Committee, Sir Graham Brady, coming on the show a bit later on this hour. Uh, and I'll obviously ask him how he feels about this. And I'm sure that David Davis and others aren't happy. But does there come a point when this, this incessant grab for central power, does there come a point when the Conservative backbenches genuinely rebel against this? Well, I think it will be fascinating to watch Prime Minister's questions this Wednesday. Of course, the first Prime Minister's questions where there isn't that horrible social distancing in the House of Commons, where there is actually a sense of genuine atmosphere, where MPs are shoulder to shoulder and noisy. And I'm no, I am in no doubt that Keir Starmer will be making hay with that playing off the divisions within the Conservative Party, because you're right, there will be a huge number of Conservative backbenchers who are implacably opposed to this uh, measure today. There'll be lots of people on the libertarian right of the Conservative Party who say this is a step too far, that it is unnecessary and actually that it's discriminatory. Of course, we know that there are some people in this country who can't have the vaccine, whether they've got blood, blood cancer, HIV, are immunosuppressed. These kind of people will, from September, presumably be banned from going to a nightclub. I think that the, uh, that the government has questions to answer there. But uh, for the moment, uh, we haven't heard that detail set out. That's something I'm sure that Conservative backbenchers will be pressing. Will there be that much opposition from the opposition's benches, though? That is the question. I sense possibly not. The Labour Party seems to be more in favour of restrictions than the Conservative Party. So this may place uh, a curious situation in the House of Commons where the Prime Minister needs to rely on the opposition parties for support over this. Was there any acknowledgement uh, during that press conference in Boris Johnson's statement or the questions asked by journalists, any acknowledgement um, about the about Freedom Day? It's fi it was Fast Day yesterday, wasn't it? Any acknowledgement that one moment they tell us that the Prime Minister will be at Number 10 Downing Street working uh, under the Workplace Pilot Scheme and the next minute he'll be isolating at Chequers. Any acknowledgement from the Prime Minister of that? Now, the Prime Minister used the words that he briefly considered taking advantage of the pilot scheme whereby he could still go to work. Now, I'm not sure about you, but my definition of briefly considered does not involve sending out a press release to the nation's press corps at 8am and then two and a half hours later retracting that press release, issuing a new one saying that he will be isolating after all. This was not a brief consideration. We learnt that Sajid Javid had tested positive for coronavirus on Saturday and it wasn't until Sunday morning that Number 10 issued their response. Of course, the Prime Minister had met with Sajid Javid in a lengthy meeting in the building behind me just the day before. Now, this was something that was clearly considered for a long time, decided, issued and then retracted. But uh, the Prime Minister doesn't seem to want to 
quite admit that and is intent on saying that this was a speedy decision. We've heard this sort of language before. We heard it around the issue of full confidence in Matt Hancock and then a speedy dismissal. This seems to be a bit of a pattern with this Prime Minister. Thank you very much indeed. And well, there we are. There's Boris Johnson, who seems to have a rather strange interpretation of the truth. The truth is whatever he believes it to be at that current moment in time. Uh, and I have to say, I thought just that brief clip we saw of Boris Johnson, I repeat what I said at the top of the show, uh, I think he's being blown around by events. I think he's not providing leadership. I think he needs to man up and help the private sector. That's my view, so please let me know what you think. GB Views at GB News. And a pretty major hint there. Uh, that in this country that's always prided itself on being so much freer than the rest of the Western world, and genuinely we have been, uh, that we may well have to have a vaccine passport to go and order a drink, or perhaps ultimately even an ID card in the street to prove who we are. Well, I have to say that I have a problem with that. But let's see. Let's go to the private sector, shall we? Let's go to the people who really are paying the price of all of this. And I'm very pleased to be joined by Hugh Osmond, founder of Punch Taverns, which, of course, is one of the UK's largest pub chains. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us this evening. Uh, what did you make of those words from the Prime Minister about the possibility of people having to have vaccine passports to visit a punch tavern? Well, as you can imagine, I, I think it's absolutely outrageous. Um, uh, I think coercion to have any sort of medical procedure is known to be completely unethical and coercion to have a medical procedure where you, you can't really prove that the on balance that the good outweighs the harm is possibly criminal um, quite honestly and as for the effect on hospitality you know hospitality is supposed to be welcoming uh, it's where people go to enjoy themselves go to meet friends you know, there is nothing welcoming about being asked for a kind of Stasi-type pass on the door. No, absolutely, and possibly criminal. Very strong words there, Hugh. They really are indeed. Uh, tell me, of all the pubs that you've got, of all the branches that you've got, uh, how many of them right now are suffering problems with staff shortages as a result of receiving a ping? Well, you know, it, it's bad across the board, to be honest, and you only have to look around on the, uh, on the streets that you walk past places... Uh, that you know, all, all over the place, up and down the country now, where you just see, sorry, we're temporarily closed uh, due to COVID, and 90% of the time that will be because somebody's received a ping. And as you know, an incredibly low number of those will actually test positive. And um, e even if you get, whether you get, uh, you know, lateral flow tests or whether you get PCR tests done, that still, in theory, does not um, allow people to return to work. So it's absolutely destroying the hospitality industry. It's starting to affect retail. We know it's badly affecting the NHS. It's shortly going to be affecting essential food supplies. Um, you know, this is an app. It's not fit for purpose and that it doesn't work. If it was working, it wouldn't actually do any good. So, again, it's a, it's a complete mess. Um, but just coming back to your earlier point about this vaccine passports, I, th I think there's a, you know, a very important decision was taken last week. Uh, by the Joint Committee on, on um, Vaccines, Vaccination and Immunisation. You know, and this is a uh, government-sponsored body that whose, whose job is to supervise the vaccine programme and report you know, and evaluate efficacy of vaccines and when they should and shouldn't be used. 
And they concluded after months of evaluation of all the data worldwide that it would not be right at this stage to recommend vaccination for the under-18s. And the reason for that was that taking into account the exceptionally low risk of COVID for people under 18, and that includes the exceptionally low risk of long COVID, they could not show in their evaluation that the, the good vaccination would do would outweigh the potential harms. You know, for young people, COVID is so mild in general that potentially the vaccine could do more harm than good and therefore recommending it would be unethical. Now, that is broadly true for people under 30 as well, and potentially up to 40 if they're in good health, that the benefits don't necessarily outweigh the harms. And so to coerce people, you know, compel them by law, by forcing them to have vaccine passports, to have a medical procedure that potentially could do them more harm than good, I think, you know, we're, we're in the realms of criminality here. I really do. Well, I have to say, I was very surprised this morning to hear that Pfizer um, are now conducting the testing of their vaccine on young people, you know, teenagers and younger, um, and Pfizer will report um, on the results, and if they're favourable, uh, perhaps get approval for young people to be vaccinated. I mean, amazing to me uh, that a multi-billion pound big pharma company uh, is marking its own homework. But, Hugh, your dilemma the dilemma that is now being faced by so many in the private sector and the real possibility uh, that the number of people isolating under this app scheme uh, could be many millions in a few weeks' time. Tony Blair thought it could be as many as 10 million. Now, I don't always agree with everything Blair says. But what I want to ask you, Hugh, is this. I think there is a very clear, logical case for the private sector to be brought in to this workplace pilot scheme you know, whereby anybody that gets contacted and told to isolate takes a lateral flow test and especially if they've already been vaccinated can go straight back to work. Why is it not the case that private companies and lobby groups are coming together and urging the government to do this as quickly as possible? Because, I, you know, it's great to speak to you and to hear what you have to say, but, but why is it the private sector does not appear to be saying anything collectively about this at all? Well, I, look, I, I, I think I agree that the private sector has not been good throughout the epidemic, really, at coming forward. You know, isolated individuals have, but most trade bodies, I'd say UK hospitality have been one of the best, actually, but many trade bodies have not come forward. And uh, although obviously people know me as um, primarily for hospitality, I'm actually an in investor in uh, a major UK house builder that built affordable housing uh, in, in biotech, uh, cutting, developing cutting edge uh, treatments um, in, in medical matters and in various other companies. And it is not just hospitality that is being affected. Staff not being able to come to work because they're being pinged by an app. It's across the board. It affects cutting edge medicine, say it affects building houses, uh, it affects the NHS, it affects everyone. So there has to be a, a solution. But I think the thing is, Nigel, that, that we were told that the answer to this problem, that the end to lockdown was actually the vaccine, and that once all the vulnerable had been vaccinated, then we would be allowed to go back to normal. Now, 98.5% or nearly 99% of the over 50s, according to the Office of National Statistics, are showing antibodies, have antibodies present. That is all the vulnerable groups and all the over 50s we are talking about in that percentage. Now, if we have achieved vaccination at that level, we should not be discussing whether to change track and trace. We should be getting rid 
of all these measures. Get rid of social distancing, get rid of all this stuff. I mean, of course, if people want to carry on, some people who are more scared than others, I have no problem with that. But it shouldn't be a debate about how we do track and trace. It does not do any good uh, at no. this point. Is, you know, is it time for it, Boris Johnson to show a bit more leadership? Do? Is it time for yes. Boris Johnson, you... Hugh, to show some more leadership and to free up the private sector and get the economy moving again? Yeah, and when you see Boris Johnson himself, the person who is supposed to be leading the country and who has had COVID, you know, demonstrably that we've all seen and is double jabbed and he is still, you know, put semi out of action because of the most ludicrous uh, set of rules of this ludicrous app. And his response is, oh, I'm going to comply with the app rather than acknowledge you know, what is plain for everyone to see, that it is clearly working in a ridiculous way. You, you know that you know, they've lost the plot in there. And um, I mean, it cannot be right. Everybody yeah. knows he's, ha he's, had, he's double jabbed and yep. had yep. COVID. Why yep. is he not allowed to work? It's yep. ridiculous. I get it. Hugh Osmond, Punch Taverns, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, the weather is beautiful, uh, which no doubt encourages some, I'm sure, who've received the ping to think, yippee. But it's been beautiful in the English Channel today. Flat calm, warm temperatures and a very, very large number of migrant boats crossing. It's a very, very big figure that have landed on Kent's beaches today. I'll be talking about that and what the government can do in just a moment. Well, before I take you down to Dover and explain what's been happening today, your reaction to what I said at the top and during the first 20 minutes of this show. And Paul says, I don't think Boris has it in him to stand up to anyone. He is constantly changing direction, usually by 180 degrees. He claims to be led by the science and the data. Unfortunately, that data is provided by doommongers. In chief, Neil Ferguson and Chris Whitty, whose predictions are so wide of the mark that it is laughable. Actually, it has to be said uh, that many of the projections that have been made right from the start of this pandemic have been wrong. The country deserves a prime minister and indeed a government with backbone, integrity and morals slightly above those of an alley cat. Well, uh, I, I'm not sure that necessarily is what matters right now. It currently has neither. Stephen says Boris and the whole government have lost their way in this pandemic and lockdown nonsense. Now the people have got their freedom back and can make decisions for themselves. Well, to some extent we can, but I mean, if you don't want to wear a face mask and Prince Charles, of course, said that he would do his best not to wear a face mask unless he had to. But if you're going on public transport, you know, you'll find in most big cities that you've pretty much still got to wear a face mask. And indeed, if you go into your local supermarket without a face mask, it's a pretty sure bet. They will ask you to put one on. Martin goes even further on Twitter and says, I think the whole government needs to step down. It's just one stupid statement after another. So many U-turns, they may as well just be on a roundabout. They don't have a clue. Well, um, I'm having trouble here um, finding anybody uh, who really thinks the government are doing a very good job on this. Nigel, I think the whole pandemic, Owen says, has been a farce. I've tested negatively three times on lateral flow and once on PCR, but I still have to stay at home. The unfairness in the system is clear for all to see. And Owen really sums it up, doesn't he? Doesn't matter. You know, doesn't matter that you've tested negative. You've still got to see out a certain number of days in isolation. Please, somebody, tell me. GB Views at GB News. Somebody tell me, please, that Boris Johnson looks decisive. 
that Boris Johnson looks in charge, that the country is being well-led and well-run. And if you do, I promise I will read it out, because we want to make sure there is fair balance in this debate. And I have to say one thing that they did get right was the vaccine rollout. Thank goodness we'd left the European Union. We weren't part of the European Medicines Agency and we didn't have an unelected commissioner from Cyprus, who nobody had ever heard of, making the big decisions about vaccine. No, we did it ourselves um, and Kate Bingham was, was appointed to the job and did a brilliant job. And I thought this is exciting because we're giving ourselves a huge head start. We're putting ourselves in a position, a fantastic position, where, uh, you know, we can get our economy moving way ahead of our European competitors. And yet, it seems to me that we really have blown that opportunity, which is very, very sad. Now, I'm going to talk first about what's been going on. Um, and this is my, one of my What the Farage moments, uh, which I will do regularly. Uh, things that really take some believing. On Sunday, eight boats carrying 241 migrants were taken into Dover. The year's total so far is about 7,700. That's against a total of just over 8,000 last year. So already by mid-July, uh, we're at a position where the numbers that have arrived are as big as last year. I predicted a few weeks ago that I thought the total number would be 20,000. Um, I'm beginning to think that may be an underestimate because the size of some of the boats that is coming are coming is radically different. Now, these pictures you're seeing here are exclusive footage. This was Folkestone Warren under the White Cliffs of Dover this morning. One of the large boats landed on the beach. 47 migrants got off, and there the police are escorting them under the cliff into Folkestone for processing. Now, did you notice anything about the 47? And as I say, the boats are bigger. Uh, the ones that I was going into the channel and covering last year were bringing 15 or 16. There's 47 on that boat. Uh, other boats have had as, up to as many as 70 on board. So the boats are getting bigger. But did you notice anything about those 47 people? Did you spot anything? How many women did you see? How many children did you see? No, nope, they're 47 young men, all under the age of 30. And that is the norm. And for all we hear from the Refugee Council, from, from most of our mainstream broadcast media, about these desperate people, well, I'm not so sure uh, that desperate people have brand new Nike trainers, smart iPhones, or when they arrive, high-five each other or punch the air. This is economic migration. Very, very few of these people would ever qualify as refugees. Uh, and if it's so awful where they've come from, why on earth have they deserted the women and children there? As you can tell, I take a very, very firm line on this. I think we're being humiliated on the world stage. I really honestly do. Uh, Pretty Patel has made a series of strong statements. They began back in the August of 2019. She keeps telling us what she's going to do, and nothing has changed. The problem is getting worse. Four-star hotels have been filled up all over the country. There are over 60,000 people who have either failed their asylum claims or are waiting to be processed. But even if and when, in most cases, they fail, they will still remain in this country. It is coming at a massive cost to us, massive financial cost to us. I would suggest quite a big security risk, as we just don't know who most of these young men are. Very few of them have ID papers. It's a trick 
get rid of your passport, and then you can't actually be returned anywhere. And I'm going to follow this because, as I say, I think in the space of the next few weeks, this will become the biggest non-COVID story in this country. I think the numbers that are coming are about to explode. My other, what the Farage moment, I and mean, then this is extraordinary. So, European Commissioner Margarita Sheenas, not exactly a household name, I grant you, and the Slovenian Prime Minister Janez Jansa have written a letter to the International Olympic Committee, uh, and they've written to President Thomas Bach asking for the Slovenian team to carry the EU flag in the Olympic ceremony. Now, Slovenia is currently holding the EU Council's rotating presidency, uh, and so no doubt they think uh, that doing this, uh, they'll earn a lot of brownie points, but they actually want the European Union to be represented there. Uh, and I have to say, the idea that the Slovenian athletes become ambassadors for European unity, I would have thought we'll get some kickback in Slovenia. But hey, there we are. Uh, there's nothing new in this. In fact, when I was in the European Parliament a few years ago, uh, Barroso, who then was the boss of the European Commission, actually suggested that rather than individual countries being represented in the Olympics, the European Union themselves should, prevent, should, should present a team under the EU flag. Mercifully, it didn't happen. Uh, we've got Brexit, and it's never going to happen to us. But I just thought that was an extraordinary moment, uh, and I've no doubt, I've no doubt that the Slovenian, the Slovenian PM is going to get a fair bit of kickback in his own country. And the other What the Farage moment was yesterday morning, and I was here... I was here uh, getting ready to co-present the political correction at uh, 10 to 12 every Sunday morning, and I will go on doing the political correction on Sunday mornings. And we'd heard the night before, at about half past seven, that the health secretary had indeed tested positive for COVID. And we saw the press statement yesterday morning saying that because of the pilot workplace scheme, the Prime Minister and the Chancellor would be in Downing Street running the country, and two hours, 38 minutes later, they U-turned. I mean, what the Farage, it's unbelievable. A government that is known for U-turning, but to do it in two hours and 38 minutes sets a new record for this government, a record that shows they haven't got a grip, they're not in charge, they follow public opinion rather than leading public opinion. It's astonishing now. A new feature of this show, and it won't be every day, but it will be occasionally, is we're going to discuss politics in a place that it's been very difficult to discuss politics. Every pub in this country is a parliament. It's where we debate things. And I'm going to have a pint in a moment with Sir Graham Brady, Conservative Member of Parliament and Chairman of the Backbench 1922 Committee. I think he might have one or two rather interesting things to say. Welcome back. And we have found some disagreement. Absolutely. Alex from Guildford says on email, do you want a prime minister who has the freedom to say what he thinks, even if it means sometimes, sometimes he has to backtrack or one that has to go through 15 layers of spin doctors before making any announcement? If it's the former, you need to cut him some slack on those occasions when he changes his mind. 
Alex, we're all, I mean, absolutely perfectly entitled to change our minds. Of course we are, and we often do throughout our lives, uh, just not dozens of times as Prime Minister, and certainly not after two hours and 38 minutes of putting out, you know, a press statement um, and then pretending it didn't really happen. Well, every pub is a parliament. It's a place where we discuss things, and I'm very pleased to be joined in this inaugural show in the studio pub. What do you think of it, Sir Graham Brady? It's a wonderful pub night. It's pretty good, isn't it? Now, we've got here, I think it's um, an India pale ale, so cheers and welcome. Mm. Excellent. Now, that should get the Puritan screaming before we even begin. Sir Graham Brady, you've been a Member of Parliament for a long time. You've risen to an actually rather important position. You're Chairman of the Backbench 1922 Committee, and it is uh, one of the most powerful organisations within the Conservative Party. It's one, historically, I think it's right to say that Prime Ministers have been quite fearful of, uh, and you hold your meetings in private with PMs, and then I think... Am I right in saying if you approve, you all sort of bang the desks with approval? They do tend to do that, yes. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, So you are really, or you should be, a pillar of the establishment. I mean, a rock-solid part of the Conservative Party. And yet, you're becoming a bit of a rebel, aren't you? Well, I, I take the view that members of Parliament have a duty to exercise their own judgment. Now, of course, when we're elected, we're mostly elected because of the party that we're standing under. Yep. Uh, but there's a part of the election which goes on our own record, uh, what we personally promise, what people expect of us, especially if we've been around for a long time and people know the kind of thing they ought to expect. Uh, so, you know, I think it's right that mostly members of Parliament vote the way that their party does, but I also think it's right that when you have a profound disagreement with something, you can stand up and say so. And I disagree very, very strongly with the approach that's been taken to lockdown and the massive uh, interference in people's lives that we've had over the last 18 months. You've written some pretty strong words uh, on this in the Mail on Sunday. Um, What about the argument that we've heard from the start, from the PM, that they're following the science, and, and you, Sir Graham Brady, are not a scientist. Well, I, I, very few politicians are scientists, but we can uh, read, we can take advice, we can talk to a lot of people, and there are also some things which are just fundamental points of principle. And you know, I've said throughout the pandemic, of course, it's a serious disease, it's something mm-hmm. we ought to take seriously, people ought to be prepared to take precautions. But we also need to recognise there are some things that governments simply shouldn't be allowed to do to people. And I think the lockdowns where people were banned by law from seeing their children or grandchildren, for instance, is something that simply isn't acceptable. The idea that government can ban people from starting a new relationship, I don't think that's acceptable. Unless they're a minister, of course. Well, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So, you know, I I think we need to, first of all, to recognise what those things are that governments simply shouldn't interfere in. Uh, And then, beyond that, I think we need to have some very clear ideas about where we're heading Mm. with the pandemic response. Uh, When does it end? How many times can you lock down? How many times can you reintroduce rules that have been lifted? Yes, I I mean, I'm worried about that. And I'm also worried that, I mean, time and again, time and again, the vaccine passport question raises its head. And time and again, the government sort of bats it away. And yet you saw what Boris Johnson said in his Freedom Day press conference in isolation. I mean, you couldn't invent some of this stuff. But he's basically saying, I don't want to do it but I may well have to do it. 
and kind of through this crisis we've seen that at every opportunity government has taken more power unto itself. So if we get to a situation where we literally, and by the way, there's no vaccine passport to come to this pub, but if we get to the position where we have to have a vaccine passport to go to the pub, clearly you'll vote against it. I, you know, I can tell from what you're saying now and the sincerity with which you're doing it and what you've written. He's got a big majority. Does there come a point when backbench Conservative members of Parliament make a stand for liberty? Well, uh, I have a number of Conservative members of Parliament have been voting for liberty throughout or speaking for it as well. Uh, what we saw but, for the first... But not enough. Not enough, but what we saw for the first time last week was the opposition actually voting against compulsory vaccination. And we've got into the habit of expecting the official opposition to vote for all of the yeah. restrictions that the government has put in place. So I think there is a, a shifting... Uh, landscape. I think there will come a point. I think increasingly public opinion is shifting. A lot more people now reckon they've had enough of living under mm. restrictions. And I think people also expect, given that we have got this very high level of vaccination in the country, that's meant to deliver a well, benefit for us. This was, yeah, this was supposed to be our liberation, wasn't it? And, and it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, last year we had the 4th of July, the opening up, and, and that was sort of dubbed Independence Day. Um, and now we've got Freedom Day, which, you know, is a little bit freer in some regards, but not for those that have been pinged or not for those businesses that are worrying how they're going to survive. Um, so we keep getting these promises that are made, these sort of irrevocable dates upon which our life uh, is going to become free, and they simply just don't happen, do they? I, 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 I mean, you may not want to answer this, but is Boris Johnson a leader or a cheerleader? Look, I, I think um, we should take some comfort from the fact that we've got a government which doesn't want to be doing these things. And but they're still doing well, them. So what, what's the point of... That's um, rather like saying, well, I was a leaver, really, but I voted Remain. And I've heard that argument I, made by people. I, I'm sure you have. But I, I, I think that when we look at the way that the opposition has always wanted more lockdown, more restrictions, yes, that's true. more longer, no, that's true. Uh, you think what the counterfactual would be if we'd had a Labour government which actually wanted to do this stuff, uh, wanted this big power grab shift of control to the state, I think we'd be in a much worse place. No, that's a reasonable point, not one that's been made very often. Now, there are some people out there that really are getting furious about all of this, and, and I accept that the YouGov polls still tell us that a majority you know, support being very, very cautious, but there are some that are getting damned angry. And um, there's a protest going on as we speak outside the gates of Number 10, and I'm hoping we can cross live to our political correspondent there at this protest. Tom Harwood, can you hear me? I can indeed, Nigel. There is a protest here and there has been a protest running all day, an anti-lockdown protest, which curiously came on the day when lockdown ended. At the moment, the police are trying to clear, trying to clear the streets, trying to clear the roads, but there has been some people who have been trying to obstruct them. There's been one arrest so far. There may be some more later. This is a group of maybe one or two hundred people. Not an enormous... OK, I, I'm, I, Tom, I'm sorry. I don't want to cut you off. Uh, I really don't. Uh, 11 people have been arrested so far, uh, but you can see that... I mean, talk about don't shoot the messenger. You know, there's Tom Harwood reporting for us, and there are obscenities uh, being shouted at Tom because he's a member, you know, he's part of the media, and I apologise to anybody at home who heard some of that bad language. That was not 
the plan. <laughs> there is clearly some anti-establishment anger out there. But isn't it funny, Graham? I mean, think about us. You know, we, we, we kind of, through history, you know, we do rebel from time to time. And yet in France yesterday, over very similar proposals, hundreds of thousands of French people took to the streets. And not just in Paris. It was happening in Nantes. It was happening all over, um, all over France. And yet... And here's the funny thing. You have your view about lockdown and about our essential freedoms and, and, and what the limits of government are. And I'm very much with you on those. And, and, and many at GB News. Not everybody, perhaps, but many at GB News are on that side. And yet you look at these YouGov polls. And I, sort of every Sunday I see the Number Times or the Sunday Times, and I look at bewilderment. I mean, I can't believe that this country that I'd always thought was one of the great beacons of liberty and, you know, evolving since Magna Carta, this relationship between the individual and the state that left us way freer than the rest of Europe or, or frankly, the rest of, you know, much of the world, our common law evolutionary system. Have they just all been scared into thinking this is so deadly that they have to just do everything government says and not question anything. Because if you believe YouGov, you know, there's a growing number of us feeling like this, but we're not in the majority, are yeah. we? I mean, I think a lot of people have been frightened, and I think they've been made more frightened than needed to be the case. And we know from the minutes of the so-called SPY-B committee, the behavioural scientists who advised the government, there was a deliberate effort to raise levels of anxiety so that people would be more compliant. I also, though, think some of these opinion polls are wide of the mark. Mm. I mean, the one that made me laugh, I think, around about the turn of the year, had 70-odd percent support for continuing lockdown, but I think about 60 percent of people said that they personally weren't following the rules, uh, which suggests to me <laughs> yeah. that, that, that an awful lot so of people... Virtue signalling to the pollster, well, then. An awful lot of people, I think, yeah. think that they personally are well yeah. able to make rational decisions uh, for themselves and their families. They just yes. think all of the others are too stupid yes. to do so. And, Graham, you've just been reappointed, re-elected as chairman of the 22, so you're going to be there for some time to come. Um, but Boris Johnson opposed uh, this. What's he got against you? <laughs> I, well, I did, uh, Boris didn't oppose. Uh, well, they put, up, they put up a rival candidate. Uh, uh, somebody else stood against me, which they're entitled to do. Uh, and I, you know, I think uh, leaders of the party and, and government whips getting involved in 1922 committee elections, I think they all know that it wouldn't be helpful. Uh, so I don't think they do it. But, you know, there's been lots of speculation uh, about it, of course. Mm, I think you've become the awkward squad. So, Graham Brady, thank you for coming on this first show and having a pint with Nigel. Good for you. Thank you very much indeed. Well, as I've said from the very start of this, you know, this is not going to be an echo chamber. This may well be a television station that is fiercely patriotic, that believes in Britain, that has its own set of values and is most certainly not part of what happens inside the M25 with too many in politics and media. No, we want to represent the broader country, but we want to make sure that all views are represented, that all debate is held in a civil manner, and that you get the chance to hear both sides of an argument so that you, through critical thinking, can make up your own mind. You know, that's what civilised democracy is supposed to be all about. 
as opposed to uh, us screaming, uh, uh, hurling abuse at each other, uh, because we can't tolerate the fact that somebody else has a different point of view. Indeed, we've reached a point uh, in too many parts of society where we think, because someone disagrees with us, they should effectively be cancelled and taken out of public life. And that is what I do not want to tolerate, and I want to see so much better for our children at schools and universities. Let's hear both sides of a debate, and I promise you, on this programme, Farage, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 7 to 8pm, I promise you, I will not hold back one little bit on telling you what I think, but you're welcome to come back and barrage the Farage. I'm perfectly happy for you to do that. And Alan on Twitter asked me, asked me a question. Why has Boris announced these unlawful COVID passports? Well, because I think the mad scientists are telling him that he's what, that's what he's got to do. And it's only by threatening that you can't go to the pub and have a drink or go to a nightclub and dance. It's the only way they're going to get young people to sign up to the vaccine. Uh, and there is slightly more reluctance on the vaccine in young people than there is in older people. Uh, and hey, you know, I mean, there are proposals now, not just for coronavirus, but for flu jabs to perhaps be administered this winter to children as young as the age of two. I mean, it beggars belief, but that is actually what is being talked about. Jack says to me, do you agree with the rule that all over 18s will be barred from nightclubs and big gatherings from September. Also, what do you think the chances of this going ahead actually are? Or will there be another U-turn from the government? Well, Jack, look, you know, they are going to do their... I, I, I'm convinced they will do their best to try and make as many people as possible have the double jab. Have, and I've had the double jab. I am not actually a vaccine sceptic. I do accept there are risks with taking the vaccine. Of course there are. There are always risks. But it's about balance of risk. You know, I'm 57. Um, I may not have lived the cleanest possible life. Uh, I've had, you know, pneumonia a couple of times. I think for me, uh, the risk is far greater not to have the double vaccine. But I do begin to wonder, and Hugh Osman made this point from Punch Taverns, made this point beautifully earlier on in the show, that you get to people under the age of 30 and actually, they're at very, very little risk of this at all. And the idea that we move to children, I mean, I thought adults protected children, not children protecting adults by having the vaccine. So uh, this one, this debate on vaccinating young people has got a lot, lot further to go. Um, how do you think the vaccine rollout would have gone without Brexit? Neil, it would have been an absolute horlicks, the whole thing. Michael on email asks, where did you get that cracking pair of shoes from? Michael's referring to the Union Jack shoes that I wore to the England versus Italy game at Wembley the other week. Uh, and there I was. Now, again, that's what, that's what civilised conversation should be. I was in an Italian pizzeria and they were rooting for Italy. I was rooting for England. And you know what? I said to them as we left for the stadium, may the best man win. And what a shame the whole thing was marred. Uh, by a quarter of a million people turning up to an event that was ticketed for 65,000. And what did they expect was going to happen with a kickoff time at 8 p.m. on a Sunday when uh, young guys, what were they going to do all day? What were they going to do? Read The Guardian? No, they were going to go to the pub or buy cans of cider and they were going to get smashed and that's what they did and they've been doing it for hundreds of years and there's not much prospect of them changing soon. 
Thank you for joining me. I'm back tomorrow evening at 7pm on Farage. I'll take your views. I'll read them out. 